You're listening to the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, a show that inspires the legally challenged to enter the courtroom armed with a plan. I'm Omar Serrato, owner of the Eagle Law Firm, experienced litigator, and the man you want to talk to before your big case. My co-host is Ileana Colon Rosa, owner of Colon Rosa Law, and a rising star in Southern California. Welcome, everybody. This is the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, episode 19, and uh, thank you for being with us. We're going to talk a little bit about Thomas Girardi. Born in 1939, he was the co-founder of his now defunct law firm, Girardi and Keese. He is a world-renowned attorney. I mean, when I say world-renowned, world-famous, he's got numerous awards. He's uh, um, been nominated to uh, Lawyer Hall of Fame for trial lawyers and a number of different accolades. Um, he graduated from Royal High School in 1957. He received his undergraduate degree from Loyola Marymount University in 19. 19- 61. Gosh, what was the world like back in 1961? <laughs> JFK was the president. It was a couple of years prior to his assassination. We we're still going through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, life was a lot simpler back then and a lot more complicated at the same time. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were um, beefing about civil rights issues, and there was all kinds of other issues. But 1961, you're talking about 61 years of a legal career. Um, from the time that he got his undergrad, he got his JD from Loyola Law School in 1964. A few years later, he didn't even take the the little hiatus that they recommend you take. <laughs> um, um, he also got an LLM from uh, New York University in 1965. So, in short, Mr. Girardi has been around forever. He's 83 years old. 83 years old, and up until recently. He was looked as the Mount Rushmore of California attorneys for sure, but he had obtained uh, international acclaim because of movies such as Aaron Brockovich, where he was featured in one of the cases, his high-profile cases that kind of put him on the map back in the 90s. I hated that movie so bad. Really? Why? Yes. I've never I've never watched it. You know what? I've never watched that movie. I've never watched it. But every time it would come like a commercial on the previews, I would get so annoyed with it because it's just, oh, Julia Roberts and like I'm just this badass and I'm going in there. It's like hey, I just, she, won, oh. she won a couple of awards for that. I'm sure so. she did. I just have never watched the movie. It's another one of these movies that I've never watched. It's like judging a book by its cover. How do you know? Oh, I just, well, I judged it by the previews. I'm quite satisfied with my decision. <laughs> I watched it like, wow, more than five times. Definitely. No way. Really? I like oh it a lot. God. Don't tell me that that was one of your inspirations uh, for becoming no, a lawyer. No, I just really liked it. And it's, it was one of those movies that during the time, I guess, cable TV, they just kept uh, repeating. Replaying movies. And I just yeah. liked it. So I would just watch it again and again. You know why I hated that movie? Because like there was this preview that always just shows like, they're called boobs, Ed. And she's like, has this Kurt Cleavage hanging out. And it's like, how do you even know we're even looking at that? I mean, he probably, <laughs> but it used to get on my nerves so bad. But at any rate, um, in 1970, uh, Thomas Girardi was the first attorney in the state of California to win a multi-million dollar award in a medical malpractice case. Mm-hmm. Back in 1970, he'd been in a practice Barely even six years, mm-hmm. a six year. Um, he became famous for taking on these really complex mm-hmm. um, litigation cases for big money awards. Um, he has handled major cases against uh, the former Lockheed Corporation, uh, okay. Pacific Gas and Electric Company, Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, um, and against all seven major movie studios in Hollywood. 
um, in some of his more notable cases against Pacific Gas Electric Utility. Um, he got the company agree to agree to pay $460 million to 650 residents of the desert community of Hinkley, California. Um, the residents blamed the incidence of cancer and other diseases on contaminated water leak. And this is the Aaron Brockovich case that we've been talking about, uh, which was produced way back in 2000. I can't believe it's been 22 years with that movie. Um, but yeah, that was the one that kind of threw him into the public spotlight and became a very um, famous um not a political speaker, but a public speaker. And he would give all these conventions and he got all these awards and all of these accolades. In 2003, he received the honor of being inducted into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame by the California State Bar and more on them later because they, a lot of people are pissed at them over Mr. Yes. Girardi and we're going to get to why. Uh, coincidentally, um, uh, well, you think about a guy that's been practicing for 61 years, right? And he has prosecuted all of these cases, and it comes out that he has been, he received hundreds, um, hundreds and hundreds of bar complaints against him for various things that he's done. You know, and bar complaints, every lawyer gets bar complaints. People get bar complaints because your client didn't like the way that you dressed in the courtroom and they thought you should mm -hmm. wear a red tie and you were mm -hmm. wearing a blue tie or because that you weren't talking to them enough and they were calling your office every single day and then they get mad when they get the bill when it's like, oh, he actually bills at $400 an hour and that's mm -hmm. why my bill is $25. I'm not, this, I'm not talking about a personal case. I'm just, <laughs> this is a hypothetical. Sure, sure. Um, but so, yeah, it there happens. are some frivolous complaints that are out there. But when you get a hundred different complaints and mm -hmm. nothing ever happens disciplinary-wise, um, people start raising eyebrows. And it turns out that at his uh, world-famous Girardi and Keese law firm, he actually employed several members of the California State Bar and had relationships with a lot of the people there that helped presumably keep his record pristine. Mm -hmm. If you looked at his bar, I mean, he's been disbarred now. But prior to a couple of years ago, um, you wouldn't think that he was never been disciplined, never had a complaint, never, you know, clean, pristine pristine record. Mm -hmm. And indeed, if he were to walk into any courtroom, you know, stay, say at Stanley Mosque or anywhere in California or in the world, rather, I mean, he used to practice in federal courts. Um, he was looked upon as like the top tier of top attorneys. So this is Thomas Girardi. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Girardi, he claims to be a member of the board of directors and former president of the prestigious International Academy of Trial Lawyers, which is an invitation-only worldwide organization limited to 500 select trial attorneys. Uh, Girardi was also the first trial lawyer to be appointed to the California Judicial Council, which is the policy-making body of the state courts. Um, he's been known for his work in the Democratic Party politics. He's donated millions on millions of dollars to campaigns. He's played roles in fundraising events and given advice to governors regarding judicial appointments. This is Tom Girardi. This is the public face, the public image of Tom Girardi. This is how the world has known him, just this uh, bastion of um, legal fortitude and uh, the epitome of what a trial lawyer should be. And for 60 years, he maintained that image. He is married, or was married, he got divorced about a year ago, um, to one of the cast members from the Beverly Hills Wives 
Beverly Hills Wives. I said that weird. The Beverly Hills Wives, Wives of that's that's the Real show. Real Housewives, yeah. Real Housewives, which I've never ever watched, and it's one of these shows. It's like really, like why is this even? And that's one of the. I think that's her his third wife because previously he had two yeah. other wives, and this one was the last one, which I believe she was really young compared to his age. She's like in her forties. No. The the most recent one. And yeah. the, I think his second wife has passed away. Yes, something like that. A few mm-hmm. years ago or something. I don't know what happened of his first wife, but yeah, married a few times. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I found a clip uh, prior to all of this nonsense going on that I was going to show you guys. Uh, because this is kind of how the world... This is Tom Girardi. I know exactly when I decided to be a lawyer. I was in the sixth grade at seven o'clock at night on Saturdays, Perry Mason. He was on from seven to 7.30. And I watched that show for two decades. And I thought, man, to ever be like Perry would really be great. And I never wanted to be anything else from the sixth grade on. I tell you, I had the greatest lesson of how to be a lawyer from my mother. My first case was Keck versus Higgs. Mrs. Keck was stopped at a stop sign. Mr. Higgs negligently ran into the back of her. Fortunately, there wasn't too much damage to her car, but her neck hurt so bad she even had to go to the chiropractor. So my mom comes to the trial, put Mrs. Keck on. Mrs. Keck, does your neck still hurt? Oh, yes. Did it hurt like this before the accident? Oh, no. Charlie Lindbergh was the defense lawyer. He was a baby lawyer, too. He goes, I said, Miss Keck, not the same neck that got hurt when your husband ran over the curb? You hit your head on the windshield and you went to a different chiropractor? Uh, uh, yes. Isn't it true that neck of yours hurt long before this? Uh, yes. It's finally 11 o'clock. It's time for a break. I come walking out. My mom sees me. She says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, Mom, I didn't know. She looked at me and she says, it was your job to know. That was my first lesson in how to be a lawyer. A very serious lesson. (laughs) Isn't he just the picture of integrity? Yeah. (laughs) My dad, he was a sweetheart. Nicest, kindest, sweetest man you've ever known. My mother. Her family came from Sicily, and man. <laughs> but I think it was her that did more for us of being a lawyer than my wonderful father. I was a great persuader. I started in the eighth grade, the junior prom baby. I really wanted to go with Linda Hahn. She was really great. She was in high demand. I didn't look so hot and all that, but Linda Hahn and I went to the junior prom. I think that in all honesty, I've been in the persuasion business for many years. And that's all this law stuff is, to persuade. I went to Loyola Law School. I then applied and got a master's in law at NYU. Well, I started my own law firm the day I got back when I started my law firm. It was just me. I didn't even have a secretary. I had a secretary 
two hours a week. It's only on it right then, now. Then lo and behold, <laughs> we got lucky, and next thing you know, I had a law clerk. You know, when I was a baby lawyer, none of my cases had a moral aspect to them. The lady slipped and fell in the ice cream at the drugstore. They didn't want her to slip and fall. Guy's not paying attention, runs into the back of the other guy. He didn't want that to happen. Now in almost all these cases, there's a moral aspect. You know, my job wouldn't be near as much fun if it were just who ran the red light. Sounds like a second father to me because it really taught me how to try a case, how to try I'm right with this guy. Is he still practicing? Who? Girardi? Yeah. Oh, no, he's been disbarred. Oh. And he's uh, placed himself in a conservatorship uh, for reasons that we'll talk about later. <clears throat> I wanted to highlight that video because I'm going to venture a guess. I don't think that either one of you seen that video ever. I didn't see it before maybe a couple hours ago. Um, but when I saw that video... He has all the hall the hallmarks of a trial attorney, which is he's a storyteller. And he speaks, and you trust that man. And he's likable. His hand gestures. He he's like your grandfather. He talks mm -hmm. about morality. He talks about his mom uh going to his first trial and uh reprimanding him he's like you should have known that was your job and so he has this charm to him this yeah there's a charm there's a flair there's an unassuming legitimacy. every man yeah. into that guy he kind of blends in to his surroundings and he gives this aura that he is somebody to be trusted and i gotta i gotta tell you and i've said it many times on the show that you cannot be a successful trial attorney without having those qualities like, it's fine if you know the law. It's fine if you know it better than me. It's wonderful if you know the facts and you understand the courtroom and all of those things. But if you don't understand people and the power of persuasion and the importance of portraying to a jury that you are to be trusted, then you're not going to make it as a trial attorney. You might want to find something else to do or just stay out of trials because it's not for you. Now, this man just gave a master class in a two-minute video <laughs> about how yep. he's portrayed himself. You know, he's the grandfatherly uh, bastion of legal morality. He even said it. Well, before my cases, um, my cases weren't about morality. Yeah. You know, they didn't want her to slip and fall. You know, he's trying to show empathy to the other side. Yeah. But now all of my cases are about morality. He's positioned himself as this guy mm -hmm. and he's maintained that's a carefully crafted, honed, pruned image mm -hmm. that he's built over 60 years. That's a lot. Do you know what court was like back in 1961? Do you have any <laughs> idea? There was no freaking Google. There was no Lexus Nexus. There, there might have been, but you got to go to the, actually, I don't even know. I know. I don't think so. Law libraries were a different thing and they were still yeah. talking about, I mean, oh. Law was such a different place back mm -hmm. then. He saw the whole change. He, he, he experienced. Yeah. It. I mean, I think back about when I first started practicing, law was a lot different from then. Yeah. Like just barely mm -hmm. uh, 10 years ago. I mean, so much changes. I mean, over such a short period of time. But what nobody understood in this man who speaks of integrity and morality, this is what he was up to. There was the Nicaragua incident mm -hmm. from 1992. 
from 2010. So let's go back to 2010, <coughs> where uh, Girardi was among a group of lawyers who attempted to enforce in federal court a default judgment that he had, had obtained in Nicaraguan court for $489 million, which is essentially, and Ileana, you know what that means. You get a default mm -hmm. judgment. We already win. Yep. We're done. Default judgment. Wow. <laughs> I'll try not to do that again. Uh, you get a default judgment, you don't have to do anything. Case is over. And he got that judgment against Dole Foods and Shell Chemicals uh, based on the effects of pesticide. Mm, pesticides, um, yeah. DBCP upon the exposed workers. So it was supposed to be this big class action lawsuit. Um, there was a hiccup with that because he attempted to sue in Nicaraguan courts basically a ghost organization because he mm -hmm. got the name of the company wrong. And the rules in Nicaragua is if they didn't name you specifically, you don't get to respond. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened is the default judgment in the case, it was expressly entered against a non-existent mm -hmm. entity called Dole Food Corporation, not the Dole Food Company and Shell Oil Company, not Shell Chemical Company, right? So in Nicaraguan law, like here, if you screw up the name, there's like ways we can yes, get around it. it. Um, erroneously sued as this, but they're actually this. And so, you know, but in Nicaragua, well, you're not the Shell Chemical Company or the Shell Oil Company. Mm -hmm. You're not Shell Oil, you're Shell Chemical. So I can't accept a response on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And on those grounds, uh, that's how he was able to get the default in the first place. <coughs> And specifically the law in Nicaragua, they don't allow real companies to prevent defaults because it wasn't against them. That's literally the hiccup with that. That's all it is. So obviously it makes that a challenge to enforce because yeah. just as it is, if you can't respond, then whatever default judgment you get against this ghost company that doesn't exist, well, you don't get to collect. Yeah. Sue the right person. Yeah. So he gets around that and he says, um, so Girardi and the other firm, he's worked, they attempted to get around it by using a Spanish translation oh, yeah. of the judgment. Oh. That used the words Dole Food Company and Shell Oil Company. But that was in the translation. It wasn't in the original pleadings. And it was supposed to be this loophole. Yes. Um, and they tried to do that. Uh, for a long time uh, when they filed the suit in California, but the district court dismissed the lawsuit and said that those were not the right entity. So they're mm -hmm. upholding it. So they go on appeal rather than doing what any first year law student would do, which interestingly, there was a guy in this case who I think was like a second year law student. Mm -hmm. And, and Eliana, you've been practicing for what, two, three years, four years now in California. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, in your second year of practice, I remember when I was in my second year of practice, if I was working for a guy like Tom Girardi, he'd be like, hey, Tom, um, why don't we just file a, law, a, a new Another lawsuit? Another one, yeah. He's <laughs> like, listen here, young whippersnapper, we will do no such thing, and you will shut up and do what you're told. Yes, sir, I will. And that's exactly how that would go down. Yeah. Uh, but then there was actually a situation like that mm -hmm. in this case. Um, so anyway, rather than filing a new lawsuit with the right entity sued, Girardi files an appeal continuing to say that the default judgments were against the right entities because of this Spanish translation. And um, once again, the right move would simply just be to refile the litigation and sue the right companies, allow them a chance to respond and the opportunity for due process through litigation. But Girardi 
has these default judgments, so he doesn't have to do anything, so he doesn't want to give up that easily. Um, and like we said, it's default victory. In this case, he doesn't have to do anything. But it's just to the wrong... <clears throat> yeah, basically, when you file a lawsuit, they have 30 days to... Res- In California, yes. you got mm-hmm. 30 days to respond upon the date that you were served with the summons. Yes. If you fail to respond, you can get a default judgment against the company or yeah. whoever it is that you're suing. And then after you get the default judgment, if it's upheld, then you'll do what's called a prove-up hearing where you get to prove your damages. Okay, you got a billion dollars in damages? Well, show me where your damages are. Mm -hmm. And then the other guy doesn't get a chance to respond or speak on it. They've been defaulted out of the case. But now you get to just show me evidence of your damages. And Mm -hmm. then what comes of the prove-up hearing is basically you and against nobody. And and that will become a default judgment. Well, a final judgment based off of the default, right? Mm -hmm. And the prove-up hearing. Most of the time in California court, default judgments are um, overturned or withdrawn, and they let the parties back in because Mm -hmm. California favors hearing matters on their merits. So in this case, and he tried to enforce the judgment in California, and California looks at the Nicaraguan laws like, well, no, (laughs) that's not going to work. And it's see the right people. And then that was the subject of the litigation, right? Um, But in short, default judgment just means that you failed to respond. You had yes. 30 days, you didn't do it. And um, when that usually happens in, for example, in family law, somebody mm-hmm. doesn't respond, the judge gives great deference to making sure everybody gets to participate. They'll mm-hmm. allow you to withdraw the default or, or get rid of it or dismiss it and let you back in the case because we want we don't want people to win on technicalities yeah. like that. So at any rate, <coughs> um, getting back to this case, And we talked about this one. So we find out that the firm, that this associate, right? They had an associate. He was not named. He's actually named in some of the documents from the California State Bar. I remember it was published in some kind of publication. Yeah, But they were trying to protect his identity because he's just a kid, man. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, you know. But they gave him a a stern talking to him. It's like, (laughs) I understand that you were kind of outgunned in this. But uh, so anyway, but this is the story with him. There was a two-year associate fresh out of law school. When you're a two-year associate, you don't know jack shit about yeah. law. You don't know how to practice, and you're still very much reliant on those around you. Yeah. You know, even if you're working for a bad attorney, I mean, mm-hmm. a bad attorney is still better than you because they've yeah. been around for a lot longer. <laughs> they know how things are, 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 are supposed to go. And when you're a new attorney, the biggest disadvantage that you have is you don't yet know What's a big deal and what's not a big deal? Mm -hmm. You don't know how these proceedings go. You don't know how you're allowed to talk to the judge. You still look at these judges as if they know everything, like they're your law professors because they're the judge and they get to call the shots. (laughs) And you're just very timid. There's no, there there is not many two-year associates that I know that I would feel confident arguing on one of my cases for this firm. Just because of the inexperience. Yeah. It just depends on the issues. Like, mm-hmm. for example, I wouldn't send a two-year associate to take the lead on a trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because trial, you got to know everything. You got to be so on the ball. I can't, you cannot be distracted because you are trying to remember uh, the hearsay exceptions mm-hmm. in a case. Like, you just need to know, be prepared whether you're going to win on that issue or not. And you got to be ready to go and paying attention to what's going on. So there's a lot that goes into it. So anyway, you got this two-year associate. And he very keenly recognizes um, that, hey, it kind of looks like we totally screwed this up. (laughs) And uh, if we keep going with this, 
I don't know, but I read somewhere that we might get sanctioned. Mm -hmm. Could we just like maybe redo it? (laughs) And uh, they told him, uh, never mind that. You just uh, keep moving forward and do as you're told. And he's like, okay, Mr. Girardi, yes, sir. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And he's not, you know, he doesn't know anything about Girardi being involved in all of these uh, weird, crazy accusations. He's, that's his boss. He is thrilled to have uh, this position at this prestigious, world-renowned law firm working for a Hall of Fame trial attorney, yeah. right? And so, yeah, sure. He does as he's told. Um, so the so, uh, the associate submits a reply uh, that reiterates the same story to the appellate court that has been repeatedly told in the courts about the judgment being against the right parties because of the translation. So inevitably, this all blows up when the defendant's get a copy of the original judgment. Weird that they wouldn't have that, you know? It seems like very basic discovery. Give me a copy of all the pleadings. Yeah. Um, But I don't think it would have been all that easy to get because the pleadings was originally filed in Nicaraguan Mm -hmm. courts. And um, I don't know, but there was issues with it. But they finally get their hands on a copy of the original judgment. The plaintiffs, Girardi, had strenuously... they had asked for it multiple times mm-hmm. through discovery. The discovery, formally, informally, I don't know if there was motions to compel a fight over it, but inevitably they turn it over. And once they looked at it, um, filed a multitude of motions in the Ninth oh Circuit God. to dismiss the appeal and impose sanctions mm-hmm. based on the fact that the judgment was clearly against non-existent entities, contradicting, contradicting all of the things that uh, the plaintiff had been telling the court for years. Years. We're not talking about this isn't like a six-month thing. So years, years. have gone by. Yeah. And they're trying to push through this uh, this translation, which, God, the easiest thing in the world to do would have just refile the thing and yeah, avoid all of this. Started. <clears throat> but he's Girardi and Crease, or Girardi and Keese, and so I'm not refiling anything. The hell with that. I got a default. You don't mm-hmm. like it? Then come and come after us. And then they did. And then they did. <laughs> so, yep. mm. so, um, there's this man named Howard Miller. He's important for a couple of different reasons. He's working at the Girardi firm. He was scheduled to present oral arguments regarding that appeal. And he happened to be the president of the California State Bar at the time. Okay. Remember all those hundreds of complaints? They kind of yes. just got swept under the rug. Well, that's because maybe Howard Miller, the president of the mm-hmm. freaking California State Bar, was an employee of the Girardi firm. And, you know, in its most basic term, I think we call that a conflict of interest. Wouldn't yes. you agree? <laughs> so um, he looked at the whole thing once everything was disclosed and... Uh, he moved to dismiss the appeals. Like, hey, just kidding. We're going to dismiss the appeal, which they did dismiss the appeal. But the pending motions, including the order to show cause regarding the investigation of the formal reports, didn't go away. Those motions were heard, and the judge in that appeal uh, sanctioned Girardi $390,000. <coughs> so after all of that, mm-hmm. this is what happened to Girardi. The Ninth Circuit formally reprimanded him. Gave him a stern mm-hmm. talking to, right? <laughs> they suspended um, Howard Miller and Paul Triana from practice in the Ninth Circuit for six months. Okay. Six months. Six months. Stay out for six months. Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and privately reprimanded the young associate that was also mm-hmm. working on the motions primarily. 
because he wrote a memo warning about sanctions and uh, was told to go forward with it anyway. So they recognize he tried to do the right thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But hey, man, he's just this kid going against Tom Girardi and others lawyer. and yeah. the freaking president of the California State Bar. <laughs> I think I'm just going to do as I'm told. Um, and despite the sanctions, uh, despite the sanctions, Eliana, if you got if if you got if you got sanctioned, mm-hmm. let's just say five hundred dollars by some family court judge somewhere because I don't know maybe you missed a hearing, maybe you uh, didn't weren't timely in your in your uh, response to discovery over and over, mm-hmm. but the judge got pissed at you and um, sanctioned you five hundred dollars. You know what would have to happen? I believe that that would be mandatory that you yourself would have to report that to the California state bar. And I'm pretty sure the judge would also have to report it to the California state bar. And I'm fairly certain, although I don't know for sure that the California state bar would launch an inquiry asking for an explanation about why did you get sanctioned? What happened? You know, Um, (coughs) and I believe the rules of professional responsibility in California dictate that you would also have to disclose to your clients that you've been sanctioned? Yes. Oh, in some know. cases. In some cases. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> in some cases, yes. I don't know. I don't know if it's mandatory or not, but I just know that it's a big deal getting sanctioned yes. any amount of money. He got sanctioned $390,000. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And despite the sanctions, he was not even disciplined by the California State Bar and was allowed to continue practicing law. Imagine. So, <clears throat> because he's Tom Girardi, mm-hmm. let's fast forward 10 years later to 2020. 2020. <clears throat> That's kind of the subject of everything that he's going through right mm-hmm. now. Exactly. It may lead, I don't know much about this case other than what we're going to talk about today, but I do know this. People are going to federal prison <sighs> over this case. Because it wasn't just, this wasn't just, oh, we're trying to be cute about the pleadings and, oh, no, we did see the right people. See the Spanish translation? You see that? We got the right names right there. Okay? So, uh, never mind. This wasn't that. This was people went to this man's law firm to make them whole. And how many people go to you, Ileana, every single day and say, I got this big problem and I need you to bring me justice and Thousands of dollars were stolen from me <coughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Somebody's looking to you to bring them justice. And what if you just won them? <clears throat> I'll give a minor example, a case that we see all the time. Husband wants to keep the whole house for himself, took his wife off the title, and uh, as the basis thereof, fraudulently signed an interspousal <laughs> transfer to supposedly... Uh, forfeit her entire community share yeah. of the property, right? And then we go into court and we show that it's fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And not only is she awarded her community share, she's in wire, she's entitled to the entire value mm-hmm. of the house. It's a million dollar house, right? Um, and you maybe charged her a $5,000 retainer or a $7,500 retainer, whatever. You get your money and you walk. But what if you just took that as a contingency and... One of the ways that you allowed her to pay for her attorney fees is going to be from the proceeds of the sale of the house. So oh. that money, that million dollars goes into, not even million, let's say $100,000 goes mm-hmm. into your trust account. And then you just 
peace out to Puerto Rico. <laughs> never seen ever again. Well, let me make it clear because I know uh, contingency is not allowing family law cases, but maybe a property lien, family law property lien on the property when it gets sold and yeah. you get the money. Because um, I have had clients ask me if I take the cases, divorces and contingency and we're not allowed. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, let's say that, of course, I get that money, it gets into my trust account and then, then I just close my business and go I've retired from practicing yeah. law refer all of your complaints to the California State Bar yeah, where the president happens to be my my secretary or whatever. my best yeah. friend well, yeah. of course I wouldn't go to Puerto Rico because then I will be well you're still in the US you're going to yes. have to go to you're going to want to go to uh, Cuba or somewhere yes. <laughs> they will trace you to Puerto Rico yeah. maybe yes. Russia yeah <laughs> no um who knows? But you'd have to go somewhere yeah. far, far away and disappear. Mm -hmm. he, you wouldn't be the first attorney to do something like that. This, this happened many, many times. But Girardi did this on a large, large scale. So, where did he go? Well, let's just talk about it. <laughs> let's talk. It, it, it's not so simple as I just took a trip to Europe. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot deeper than that. So, in December of 2020. A federal judge in Chicago, there was a contempt proceeding because he had secured a settlement amount for his plaintiffs. He had co-counsel on that case, and we're going to hear about that attorney shortly. And um, the plaintiffs were looking for their money. Co-counsel never got his um, co-counsel fees. So he was working on, he's supposed to, I'm sure they negotiated something. He didn't get paid, but his clients were like, hey, when are we going to get our money? And so he starts writing emails to him, like, hey, I don't, don't, never mind about my fees. I just want to know when my, my clients are going to get paid. And then he's like going back and forth. We'll get into it. But anyway, this that's what this whole hearing was about. Um, the federal judge froze Girardi's assets because back then they cited that he had misappropriated at least $2 million in client funds that were due to the families of those killed by the Boeing 737 Air Flights 610 um, crash in Indonesia. Oh, you remember that. You guys yeah. remember that, right? Well, Girardi's firm is the one that went and sued people and got them this big settlement. Well, here's what happened. The case is kind of crazy because it involved his wife, who was cast on the Beverly Hills Housewives or whatever. <laughs> um, it accused Tom Girardi and his wife with coming up with a scheme to embezzle money from settlements related to Lion Air Flight 610. Um, the lawsuit was from Edelson PC. Now, Edelson is the guy that I started hearing a lot more about. Now, the Edelson, I don't believe, knew anything about anything that was going on. He's the one that brings a lawsuit against uh, Girardi, trying to recover this money. Um, he named in a lawsuit Erica Girardi, Tom's wife, mm -hmm. and Thomas Girardi himself, the law firm Girardi Keys and others, alleging that they basically embezzled money uh, to keep up the couple's celebrity status mm -hmm. and to protect a public image of obscene wealth at all times, at whatever the cost. And I don't know much about um, the Beverly Hills wives, but I've heard stories that this lady had like a $40,000 personal care routine. What? 
Justin, if I gave you $40,000 and I told you to go get some personal care, where would you start? I wouldn't even, couldn't even tell you. I don't even know where to start. That's just an obscene amount of money for that. I mean, that. I'd assume you just go to the CVS yeah, and there's go to like, like a Target or something, you know, maybe spend a few hours there instead of 30 minutes. Well, personal care, I imagine that uh, personal training trainer goes into that. So All right, that there's probably that's a, a, that's Okay, that takes up a, a big 2, chunk. 2000 a month. Yeah. 2000 a month, let's that's say. You got $38,000 left. And then facials, um, like every day. What's a facial like? 50 bucks? No. Maybe like 100 bucks? 100 Yeah. Why? Why is it $100? It's it's personal care. What can you say, you know? But what and do you then, get for $100 with your face? I have no idea. And then also, <laughs> I imagine she probably did injections, um, <sighs> special treatments, and those what, can go up to thousands. You're 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 putting in a lot of work yeah, to I think, do the personal care. Well, it was 40000 monthly. It Well, there, no way. I forget what the exact number was. But it was a lot. So here's let's talk about let's talk about the um, what actually is alleged in the lawsuit. Um, I mean, alleged that Boeing reached had individual settlements with all of their clients and families represented by Gerard Keys and Edelson. Edelson was the co-counsel. Edelson's mm-hmm. the one bringing this lawsuit with the primary terms reached in early of 2020. So Edelson was named co-counsel in the case. Um, he was owed his share of attorney fees for his role in securing the settlements for plaintiffs. And he had communications going back and forth uh, with Thomas Girardi himself. Um, and if you look at the actual emails, Edelson was exclaiming over and over that he didn't care so much about the money that he was owed to him. He just wanted to make sure that the plaintiffs were being compensated from the settlement fund, the settlement mm-hmm. fund that had gone directly into Mr. Girardi's trust account mm-hmm. that you're supposed to not have access to, right? That's not your money. Not you cannot mess. You. you cannot mess with a trust account. Mm-hmm. That is a big, it's a crime. That's not... Your money. So yeah. if you take that money and you go, I don't know, buy uh, whatever with it, um, well, you've just committed a felony. Wow. A jet, like that other attorney did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He purchased a, a plane or a jet? A jet. Oh. A private jet. The, what is it? The Michael, the one that I mentioned. Oh, already. Avenatti? Yeah. Yes, he yeah, purchased yeah. a jet with the proceeds of one of the settlements. For what, man? Like, I don't even need That's a jet. That's what I thought. Like, what, what, do you really need the jet? Just go fly first class somewhere. Yeah, what do you need a whole freaking jet for? Buy Jesus. first class tickets. People are greedy. People are just, <laughs> yeah. that's all it is. Anyway, so getting back to this, um, Edison's trying over and over and over and again to get a straight answer from Girardi or any of the people at the firm uh, that led to where we are right now where people look like they might be going to federal prison. So there were recorded voicemails that were referenced in the complaint. And one of them, Girardi states in quotes, we're doing good on this thing, getting things squared away and shit. He said, shit, (laughs) that wasn't me, mom. Um, Don't be mean to me. Be nice to me. I'm doing good. It was because of me that they got this. Anyway, I will be in touch. Don't worry about everything. We're friends. Things are going to work out good. This is what he said in recorded voicemails, right? Okay. When some old man tells me some stuff like that, I'm like, who, who's this freaking guy? I was going to say, there is nothing of substance <laughs> in that mean? message. Don't, don't be mean to me. What yeah. kind of shit is it? Sorry, I, that, 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 that one was That me. was you, that, yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, he's talking like this, right, in these voicemails, and Edelson's like, what? You know? I would be very is confused. Is this Tom Girardi? What's yeah. up with this guy? Uh, so in a second mail, and a second voicemail, Things are starting to get a little uh, hot under the collar for Mr. Girardi. And uh, he references, in quotes, screwed up here a little bit. We had three different air crashes, and they got a little screwed up. I'll have everything worked out by Thursday. 
I'm so sorry. This never happened before. Anyway, everything will be smoothed over on Thursday. Well, Thursday came and went and nothing was squared over, <laughs> right? Because that money was freaking gone. Yeah. Money was gone. Um, I think in their operating accounts at that point, when it came to answer the question about where the money had gone, they had maybe $15,000 in the operating <gasps> account. Of the millions and millions what of dollars that What did they do that with there. that much money? Oh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> there must be a list or something. <laughs> so the lawsuit accuses Girardi and his wife of leading opulent and notoriously lavish lifestyles. Of pointing to $40,000 per month from for Erica Girardi. Per month. Reportedly spent on her look. On her look. She had to be getting so surgery. No, that's hair. That's personal trainer. Those are injections. And those but are... like every day, no? Something yeah. Like, she, oh. That was probably her her everyday thing. Wake up and get treatments and work oh out. Oh, my and God. That's it. Yeah. yeah, you can go to the right, spa. A- well, you don't even have to go to the spa. The spa's going to come to you. <gasps> that's oh. even better. <laughs> you get yeah. your own little room. They'll set it up for you. <sighs> I want yeah. that. $40,000. Because I'm thinking like Kardashian style. They don't even get out of the house. Everything comes to them. Nails, facials, massages, personal trainer. I would have to do the math because I can't imagine $40,000. I can see it. Just a personal trainer, I think it takes like a big chunk. And if they're doing Botox, that's also expensive, right? Botox fillers. Because you can do Botox in your lips, your cheeks, Mm -hmm. your neck. Anywhere. Anywhere, right? Anywhere in the body. And then... I'm thinking... I'm thinking diet, too. Like, maybe personal nutrition. chef, nutritionist. Yep. Um, they yep. come in, cook for you, clean for you. But that's not personal care. I and mean, then sometimes. There's a, all those weird um, procedures that they do to your body, like wrappings and, I don't know, stuff to release, like, the fat. Oh, and I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, all do, that. They do, like, electrolysis or something yeah. like that. Laser. Laser, if they yeah. do, that's expensive, so, yeah. I can see the 40,000. I want someone to give me a 40,000 limit and see what I can do with it every month. Wow, that's that's obscene. That's how they stay like that. Like you But see. I mean that's not millions, right? I mean in a year it's know. not My math is not that good. I'm going to have to do <laughs> Cuz it's like what 200,000 or something in a year. I'm not good at math either. No. Let me see. It's more. I was like maybe in this 480,000. Oh, but Wait, 40? no. Yeah, 480,000. Yeah. Almost half a million. Where did the other 1.5 million go? <laughs> they brought a pi- private jet too. Probably. Two okay. private jets. $40,000. And uh, you keep on saying injections. What do you even inject? So you get your lips injected. Botox, She's like 42. Fillers. Yeah. To look the way that she looks, she will need like almost every month probably Botox and fillers. And, and don't the Kardashians also get like nutrition shots or something? Yeah, you can get nutrition shots. Yeah. You can get um, massages to release fat. Um, There's no way that's a real special thing. Special treatments in your body. Wait, hold up, hold up, back up. <laughs> there's no freaking way there's any massages that release fat. But not release like from the inside out. It's supposed to, to like, it's to like break, break down the, fat the fats so that it's easier for your yeah. body. How much would you spend on something like that? I don't know. I know it's... it's I got to see before I will say after. like maybe 200 per treatment and that's where you're going to the spa. Imagine this person had the spa come to her house yeah. so that she didn't have to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about what electrolysis. Yes, laser, laser. Um, to remove hair, yeah. hair, makeup, nails. But Ileana's saying it has to be an everyday 
kind of thing. I can see it, especially having the people come to you instead of you going. Yeah, because that's just more expensive. Yeah, it's yeah. it's an at home care. I mean, I think about what I spend, which is not a lot, and at that level, I can see the forty thousand. Yeah. Here alone, me going to the salon, something like very simple. It's like two hundred dollars. Yeah. I got to do the math. Okay, so you're gonna get your hair done. How much does that cost? Usually two fifty. Two fifty. All right. Injections. How much is injections? Usually, depending on what you get, I would okay. say start around fifteen hundred or more. Fifteen hundred or more. A lady like that, she's probably doing like four thousand. How about just like injections? a regular lady? Because I, I saw, I've seen what that lady looks like. She looks like a plastic doll. It's not very attractive. Um. Say five thousand dollars in there. Five thousand for injections. Yeah. Okay, and then let's just say personal training, two thousand a month. Let's say massages every day. Every so day, like another, so what, four, four thousand. What would you put on that? Three thousand a month. Mm, massages like two hundred each, depending. Two hundred dollars for Jesus Christ. Yes. Massages, yes. massages like a cheap massage is like a hundred. Yeah, that's a cheap massage. <laughs> so then it's about six thousand dollars. If you're getting it every single day. You okay. Should. What else would you do? What else um, would you do? Estheticians. So you get face treatments. Yeah, you get facials. They'll like um, do your eyebrows. Your nails. Your nails. Yeah. Nails say 150 every two weeks or more. That, you know what? I quit. I'm, that's way too much. <laughs> you got the point. You can spend 40000 <laughs> in, that's a, just, in just a month. Ridiculous It's money. easy if you've got it, you know? Yeah, you just make exactly. it work. I mean, you're just like, throwing money away to throw it away. Like, you don't even need all of that stuff, no, first you don't. of all. I mean, but most people don't even look at all that. Mm -hmm. But if you got it, you got it, right? Yeah. I guess. I bet they the didn't have it. They didn't have it. That's they true. took it from the plaintiffs. That's true. That it wasn't theirs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got into the, um, we got, so her $40,000 a month, mm -hmm. spending it on her look. Yep. Great. Thomas Girardi had daily standing reservations at Morton's Steakhouse in LA, mm -hmm. which isn't even that good of a restaurant. Yeah. If I'm going to go to a steakhouse, I can think of four <laughs> off the top of my head that I would choose over Morton's Steakhouse. But hey, people like hey. what they like. <coughs> the, the lawsuit says that he was facing pressure to pay down his debts. Mm -hmm. The couple was facing increasing pressure to actually pay down their debts. What kind um, of debts alleges, did they have? Oh, well, for one, uh, they are, there was a, um, well, debts are easier to explain away. I, I mean, mm -hmm. a lot more than 40000 on somebody's look. Like a, yeah. a firm can run up a, a, a good amount of debt pretty quickly. Oh, okay. And so I'd imagine it's probably credit card debts. It's yeah. probably, I don't know, mortgages. Uh, that he has in various places. He probably has a lot of stuff, just probably a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on credit. Like yeah, any makes other more rich sense. folks. Makes mm -hmm. more sense. Yeah, yeah, whenever American Express hands out these unlimited mm -hmm. um, charge cards, oh, people yeah. use it Rack unlimitedly. Yeah. We and they, probably have one. And then eventually <laughs> Amex said, hey, buddy, you better, we're going to need a payment. Mm, or, just because they're unlimited doesn't mean you should keep using it. <laughs> I mean, it's unlimited because they're going to collect interest. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. American Express has been in business for a long time. They're going to be reason. in yep. business way <laughs> after um, I've gone and yep. left this world. And it's because <laughs> they know what they're doing. So, yeah, pressure to pay down their debts. Um, the the lawsuit alleges that they are publicly filed divorce is a, that their publicly filed divorce is a sham proceeding mm. designed to, sh oh, to shield assets from creditors. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which I guess makes more sense than the privileged thing. Because they're like, well, yeah. Wouldn't that mean if they were married that there's this married privilege you don't have to testify against? Mm -hmm. But it's to, to shield assets. I guess that makes more sense. How would it shield the assets? <coughs> well, because um, in in some cases, 
if there are things that they're going after Girardi for, but mm-hmm. it happens to be her separate property. It won't. And, they, mm-hmm. and then they can't because of various things. Uh, but yeah. I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs because I'm not a bankruptcy attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are reasons why it's better to be divorced yeah. than married if you're in a lot of debt like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it also says Girardi and James siphoned significant sums of money from lenders and clients and moved it out of Girardi's key bank accounts for personal use. So basically just going into the trust mm-hmm. account and saying, eh, you know what? I think I want box seats to the Lakers. Uh, how much it costs? 80,000. I just take it out of the trust, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody oh wants a bank account and you know, it's not their money. And so if you're going to do something like that, that's pretty much what embezzlement is. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to find a way to put that money back. Cause when people come to collect, like these people did from the Indonesia flights, well, then people start going to federal prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lawsuit asked for a creation of a trust. Um, with Mrs. Edelson absolutely doing the right thing. <coughs> but he's asking for the creation of a trust to put money into so that the plaintiffs could be compensated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lawsuit asked a judge to create a trust to first benefit the clients, the, line air cli- the, uh, the airline clients, before paying money owed to Edelson. Um, in the lawsuit, Edelson wrote that it will not accept any attorney fees for its work in the Lion Air litigation until each and every relevant client has first been paid in full. Nice. So Edelson, I've heard him give interviews on this case, and he seems like what Thomas Girardi portrayed himself exactly. to be. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. But if, he, if you listen to Edelson, he's not this charismatic guy where he would have you eating in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm. He's just like a straight-up attorney. Mm-hmm. He's a dork. He's a bit of a dork, <laughs> like most attorneys are. I mean, I'm, I consider myself a dork. But, the honesty you know, that counts. Yeah, he's yeah. just very um, a stickler for the rules kind of type. You mm-hmm. know, he's, he's not going to, like, cheat on his... Uh, and and the, the, the tennis tournament, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to call balls and strikes as he sees it. Um, he's a very straight-up guy. And, you know, but I, I don't know, because... This case is starting to get international attention, mm-hmm. and people are looking about who should go to prison, who shouldn't mm-hmm. go to prison. So is this case still ongoing? Oh, this isn't going to be over for uh-huh. for probably a couple years. <laughs> this is a not only is it ongoing. I mean, as far as the uh, the, the litigation mm-hmm. portion of it, but there's a criminal aspect of it. Right now, the feds are all over this case. They're all over. I mean, Edelson's. That's never good. Uh, Girardi's law firm no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Of Matter course. of fact, the entire law the, the entire law firm went to auction. Yeah, what? Yeah, they started auctioning off like all the stuff they had in there. Oh, like they wow. had autographed baseballs and stuff and did various things. They auctioned off the receipt for the check of the Irene Brockovich um, yeah. settlement. Oh, yeah. so <coughs> they, they had it framed. Yeah. That's interesting. His entire th- his law firm no longer exists, but all of the people that were involved in that law firm. From, you know, Thomas Girardi himself to the, the, the entry level secretary is being questioned about mm-hmm. what they knew oh. or what they know. Well, yeah, they were in the ins and out of mm-hmm. everything that was going on. And I'll tell you what, if you're in line to go to federal prison, I'll tell you who's not going to federal prison. The person that speaks first. I'm speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in that firm is telling all of Girardi's secrets. I mean, here they're he's singing. a fall guy. Yeah, yeah. they're singing, they're <laughs> screaming. Hey, man, I didn't know nothing. I didn't get no yeah. I'm dime of this money. And let me tell you where his bank checks are. And, I mean, they're, they're singing like canaries over there. I don't blame him. I do not blame them. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I I don't know how much of this is Edelson is actually like a decent guy as opposed to people are sniffing around. I was really closely tied to this guy and I better 
make sure that I follow mine. <laughs> yeah. However yeah. I could follow mine. I want to believe that he's a good guy. Cause when I hear him speak, he seems like, you know, he's a straight up guy and we need those kinds of people in the world, but just know that there are Thomas Girardi's out there and oh, they, yeah. you know, when you speak to them, they're very disarming. The sign of a charismatic person is somebody that when you are in their presence, completely disarm you. Mm -hmm. Every natural instinct that you have is gone and melts away because this person is just so charming. Yeah. You know, and they could even look like the devil, but by through their mm-hmm. words and their their charisma, <laughs> they'll convince you they're not. They've disarmed you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I talk to my daughter about this all the time. My eldest, you know, about hey, be careful about anything people say mm-hmm. because you never know what people are up to. And but at any rate, going back to, to this uh, contempt hearing, um, at the contempt hearing. We, we, we got into that one about uh, Durkin and uh, Thomas Durkin. This was the admonition. And this is going back to when they, we first learned about all this stuff. Thomas Durkin is the U.S. district judge that um, presided, presided over the uh, contempt hearing. He called Girardi's conduct unconscionable and said he was referring to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office for incre- for criminal investigation. That's how we know the feds are involved. And by the way, whether or not he referred them or not, I mean, there was already sniffing around this case. Um, He said that no matter what your personal financial situation is, no matter what kind of pressure you are under, if you touch client money, you're going to be disbarred and quite possibly charged criminally. That's ethics 101. You learn that in law school. And someone as experienced as Mr. Girardi knows that as well as anyone. Yeah, of course he would have to know that. That's what he said. So during the hearing, uh, the two attorneys representing Girardi said he did not currently possess the $2 million that was owed to clients. Um, L.A. attorney uh, Evan Jens told the judge her client's firm, uh, Girardi Keese, had about $15,000 in their operating accounts. So you're talking about federal levels of uh, felonious amounts of money that was withdrawn. And I guarantee you it's a lot more than this $2 million. Um, I've heard figures as high as in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And this this next two years is going to be based on this guy's been in practice for 60 years. Mm -hmm. You don't get to uh, you don't get to have the level of boldness that, you know, we're going to try to pass through California appellate courts, a Spanish translation Mm -hmm. to collect on a default judgment for 400. The kind of balls that it takes to do that kind of thing. (laughs) I mean, that's what the level it was. So my guess is he was probably dabbling in this stuff, probably since the Mm eighties. Yeah. And nobody was saying Jack about it because Mm -hmm. he had people in the California state bar, Mm -hmm. um, on his payroll, Mm -hmm. legitimately or illegitimately. They were on his payroll. And there were hundreds, this this is what we don't know. There were hundreds of complaints lodged against him over the years. Maybe thousands. Who knows? Because they were all kind of swept under the rug. So whenever there is a bar complaint lodged against any attorney, whether it's a legitimate complaint or not, whether it's just, oh, we acknowledge that you got a, a complaint, but we're not going to do anything because it's obviously ridiculous. Um, it goes in an internal database that the California State Bar could reference so that there's another complaint against you, even if they think it's frivolous. Okay, why does the guy got like 25 different yeah. complaints for the same thing? Yeah. And that's how they kind of, that, that's how they're supposed to be able to keep tabs on attorneys and whether or not everything is above board. But for Girardi, he had hundreds of those kinds of complaints and they were all involving money for the most part. I mean, I assume, right? Uh, the reports that I've heard is most of this stuff is about money. Never disciplined. Even when he was... <coughs> sanctioned that $390,000 back in 2010 was not disciplined then. 
And um, it wasn't until this federal charge came to light uh, that he was actually disbarred and has, you know, um, done away with uh, his, his law firm. And now all of a sudden he's got Alzheimer's. He can't remember anything. <laughs> and he's in this conservatorship. Perfect timing for him. Mm-hmm. Perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, so back to the hearing, the, uh, the, the attorneys uh, said that he was unable to make payroll. Um, because they didn't have any money, they're operating accounts. Yeah. Uh, they cited that he had obligations and debts, as well as anticipated family court battles because of the divorce. Um, the court battle with Jane over their assets. Uh, she filed for divorce um, after a twenty-year marriage. So then that means he was like sixty. That's what I remember one. reading that he she was twenty-eight when she met him. He was like. It had to have been younger than that because if she's like, what, 42 now? Let me see. I had it. I had it. It's been like 21 or something. Yeah, Yeah. she would have been 21 years old. Yeah. Married to this 60 year old guy. So he's 83 now. He was 60 and she was 28. Wow. When they met. Well, how motivated, I mean, 20 year marriage, but how motivated are you going to be if you get $40,000 to spend a month on personal care? And she probably didn't even see Girardi that often. You know, I mean, he was yeah. off doing whatever and she was off doing whatever. So mm-hmm. what's the motivation, you know? Besides financial. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Girardi attended that hearing by phone. We're talking about the contempt proceedings. Um, he did not speak beyond acknowledging his presence. His lawyers mm-hmm. who were hired in the recent days said that Girardi had not been able to assist them in the preparing for the defense. They said they had concerns about his mental competency. And of course, that led to him getting the conservatorship. Um, I'm unsure that he understands either the nature or the gravity of the current situation, says his attorney, who told the judge she wanted Girardi to undergo a mental examination. Mm. Another lawyer for the plane crash victims' families called those assertions bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Attorney Jay Edelson, uh, whose firm alerted the judge to the misappropriated funds, told Durkin, the judge, as recently as last week, Girardi was offering him money in an attempt to stave off the contempt hearing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so questions abound, right? Uh, Durkin ordered that a trustee be appointed to oversee whatever assets remained to Girardi and his firm. The priority, he said, was for Girardi's clients to receive their entire settlement. There are widows and orphans, he said, noting each was due about $500,000. Half a million dollars for any one of these families is significant, life-changing mm-hmm. money. Yes, Given absolutely. the tragedy that they have been through and trying to carry on in the aftermath. The settlements at issue stem from the crash of the course Lion Air flight uh, from Indonesia, killing all 189 people on board. Uh, the plane was a 737 MAX jet that Boeing subsequently grounded because of problems with its anti-stall software. The missing money is part of the amount Girardi and his firm negotiated from Boeing for four families and the federal judge was overseeing the litigation and the payouts. The terms of the settlement are confidential, but based on remarks in court, each client was to have been paid $2 million, but have only received about 75% of the money owed to them at this point. So last week, Edelson's law firm files a separate lawsuit against Girardi, uh, accusing him of diverting the funds. So going back to March, 2021, the LA Times reported that Girardi had been sued more than 100 times. Oh, These wow. aren't bar complaints. These are freaking lawsuits, yeah. right? Um, multiple complaints had been filed against him with the California State Bar. Nevertheless, his bar license and had remained pristine mm-hmm. due to alleged improper relationships between Girardi and bar officials, as well as Girardi not having malpractice insurance, mm-hmm. which, you know... 
Um, I mean, it's okay to not have malpractice insurance. You're supposed to disclose that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have malpractice insurance and there's a lawsuit, things tend to go a little bit quicker. quicker yeah. um, many of the bar complaints involved alleged financial malfeasance, including allegations of theft by two dozen women who won $17 million in a lawsuit claiming that hormone replacement therapy caused their cancer, along with the alleged misappropriations of millions of dollars in a burn victim lawsuit. So this is just a handful of the stuff that has gone Mm -hmm. on from a handful of the complaints. You're talking about lawsuits, all of these lawsuits, misappropriated funds. We don't know the depth right now of how much was actually embezzled. But a guy like Girardi went 83 years before it got to this point. Um, and now he's in this medical conservatorship where he's trying to say, oh, I don't remember anything. So you could ask me whatever you want. I don't understand. I have Alzheimer's. And so um, I don't remember. You're going to have to ask my wife, who's not going to be interested in talking because she's being accused also of embezzlement. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot. And so there, there are investigations going on. And there's a lot of people talking a lot of things to the feds right now. And right now it is a buyer's market if you're the feds and you're looking for uh, evidence to bring forth federal lawsuits against all of these people for the misappropriation of plaintiff funds. And the person that sings the loudest will be treated with the most... Um, Grace, well, maybe? Grace, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk or go to jail yeah. is, is, is the, uh, the, the running theme uh, in, in this case. So that is the story of Tom Girardi that we're going to be following. And um, I don't know. There's a lot there. You know, yeah. we, we do. We do. Uh, we're, we're starting to take on more and more of these civil cases. We've done it a lot on the on the defense end. Uh, we have uh, a, a few plaintiff cases that are going on right now. But everything that they, they teach you in law school, mm-hmm. of the most pristine of those rules, of the most fundamental of those rules, is you don't F with the trust funds. <laughs> you do not touch the trust accounts. Yes. Everything from professional responsibility is almost geared towards protecting mm-hmm. client assets. Even the interest that's made off of the trust account goes directly mm-hmm. to the state bar. Um, attorneys are not allowed to make to, to, to profit off of that. You just mm-hmm. have to have one, which means you got to go to the bank. You got to open a trust account. Do you get the benefit? No, you just no. put your client's money in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there, well, for example, if you were to overdraw a trust account, the bank has to report that to the yeah. California state bar. Wow, It's just really, really dangerous to own a trust mm-hmm. account for that very simple fact mm-hmm. that if you somehow uh, screw something up, there's an accounting error, mm-hmm. uh, you might be facing criminal charges. So the gall. Well, he to, went years. <laughs> well, to take millions of dollars yeah, from their plaintiff of settlements. Dollars. I guess I, here's my personal theory. Maybe he does have Alzheimer's. Maybe he's got pancreatic cancer or something. Even Maybe he's age, got something. Yeah. yeah. The dude is 83 years old. Maybe yeah. he's like, you know what? I just kind of don't care anymore and I'm going to go. It is my understanding from what I have read that like the one moving the money was somebody else in the office. Like he was aware mm. of everything, yeah. but there was somebody else that also was like the one yeah. playing around with the money. I don't remember his name, but there was somebody else. In well, there. usually with embezzlement schemes, that's kind of how it yeah. works. There's multiple there's people, multiple people mm-hmm. yeah. and there's people skimming off the top Yeah, and everybody's getting a cut. Mm-hmm. And that's how you keep, you get everybody to shut their mouths. Yeah. So do you think that the people at the firm, they were definitely involved? I don't think everybody was involved. 
Like, for example, there's like that two-year associate. What are they mm-hmm. going to give that guy? That's you know? true, yeah. I've been an employee at some of those law firms before, these bigger law firms. And um, the logo on the totem pole, they don't give him the, the yeah, family secrets. Yeah. But there's definitely, there's definitely like this inner circle mm-hmm. of uh, people, whether it be like his family members, you know, whether it be that, you know, people that he's known for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always an inner circle at every law firm that know all of the skeletons in that law firm. But- no, you're not going to let the, the the secretary or the paralegals mm-hmm. or the the one or two year associates in on all those secrets uh, because, you know, you got secrets to keep. Yeah. But I'm sure there is a method for how they were skimming we people go. off the top. The CFO. Uh, what was his name? Um, Christopher Kamen. <coughs> Christopher Kamen. Yes. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot. I'm, I'm sure because he was using money from the trust fund to pay a escort. <laughs> well, isn't that always, isn't twenty thousand, twenty thousand dollars a month for that escort, and it included a one hundred and twenty thousand dollar purse. Wow. I reading that. I did read about that purse. I also read about a ring. There's like this ring mm-hmm. that was like something like $4 million. And there was speculation. It was like a $4 million or like a $2 million ring or something like that. Oh my God. And, but when they, they sold it off at auction, it only got like $750,000. Oh, wow. Which begs the question, hold on a minute. Diamonds don't really lose their value like yeah. that. Diamonds tend to appreciate mm-hmm. in value. So... If it was worth $2 million at one time, why did it get only 750000 in auction? I think the implication being because it's not the same fucking ring. Oh. So they replaced it with something else. And that's the other thing. All of this stuff that was um, gained through uh, the misappropriation of funds is going to have to be returned. Like That's why you're seeing all of this stuff being returned and auctioned off. Yeah. So <clears throat> in the subsequent months, years, of this investigation, a lot more of it is going to come out and I'm going mm-hmm. to be paying particular attention mm-hmm. to it. I mean, um, there's going to have to be a paper trail of everything oh, that went on. One. Yeah. And you know what? This is one of those cases where you're going to, wh- whatever happened in that case is all, it's all coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Sooner you start threatening people with federal prison. Yeah. You know what? I ain't going to jail for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like 83. And so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we're going to learn a lot more about it. That is the Thomas Girardi case. And um, we will be paying uh, particular attention to it. Um, so I, I want to see that paper trail. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see where millions and millions of dollars went. So I wanted to update you guys about what's going on uh, with the show. So we have, since the last time we aired, the last episode we have gotten, I think, like close to 50,000. It might be over 50,000 views now. Um we have grown in subscribership to we're like over 1,200 now. Okay. From where we started like a month ago, I think we only had 50. Yeah. Now we have 1,200. Nice. Um, and then we took kind of a hiatus. The last show that yeah. we did was almost, a, well, it was a few weeks ago. There was a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, um, Eliana was uh, over in Puerto Rico, Mexico. I think. Or Mexico. <laughs> on vacation. Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and then, How cute. Thanksgiving was a thing, you know, and I got, um, I, I, I got, uh, I don't know if it was a flu or a respiratory illness, but I could not speak. <laughs> so, um, I was going to do a show the week after Thanksgiving, but I had to put it off just cause my voice was in no condition. Mm-hmm. And so we're here and we're going to continue to record through the holidays. 
Um, <coughs> Christmas, I think, falls on a weekend this year, doesn't yes. it? Yes, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, but yeah. we're going to be recording on the 15th and the 22nd. Those shows mm-hmm. will air on the 16th and the 23rd, respectively. Um, we're also going to have a show on the 30th. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a show on uh, January 5th, but we may. Um, all that to say that we're going to resume um, <laughs> back on track. Yeah, yes, we're going we're to get back on track and back to work with this show. And um, as you can see, I mean, I don't know for the people watching on YouTube, we've we've done some uh, modifications of the studio. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we've been, we've improved some of the audio quality. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, the wall the walls aren't as white. You know, we had some, yes. some design. And you can see the progress helps. in the videos. Yeah, yeah. The, the production quality is getting a lot better. And um, as always. Uh, for all of the people, and there was a lot of people. I mean, I, I told the girls that they all have, um, you guys have fan clubs now. Yes, <laughs> Ignorance yeah. is bliss. I'm not looking at that. <laughs> no, I, I don't, don't, I don't know what it says. Comments. No yeah, idea. You, you know what? I, I got caught up in that. I can't look at the comments, no. man. Like, you got to, people say mean stuff. Like, of yeah, course. It's funny because there's like 98% of it is positive, and then you'll read me, one mean comment. That'll be the one that sticks in your head. Yeah, that's why you don't read them. That's <laughs> there's very sad and. Uh, I guess people have a lot of time in their hands. Well, you know what's funny? Yeah. There's people that were um, they were uh, criticizing me. and said, hey, you touched the mic too much. That's not very professional. It's <laughs> like, like, okay, why don't you do it then? I mean, I'm Show me a, how it's done. I, I'm not sure if I'm a professional or not. Yeah. <laughs> like this started as like a, a show where I was giving advice to my uh, yeah. prospective clients. And it turned into something else because, you know, the show's grown. Um, and so, yeah, I, I might not, I might not be uh, the most professional out there. I don't strive to be that. I'm just going to talk about the things that are interesting to folks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people that come on the show, you know, Eliana's been with me from episode one. Mm-hmm. The girls have kind of come in and out, but they're, they're always going to be here. They're here to chime in and lend a voice to some of the questions that are in real time that people might have. Yeah. Um, and so for the, uh, for the, for the critics of the show, Thank you for criticizing the show. I do appreciate it because it actually has given me a lot of ideas on how to improve things. So keep those things coming. I got a really thick skin. Uh, constructive for, criticism. Constructive yeah. criticism is what we like, not just being unnecessarily mean. For, for, for the non-constructive criticism, I'm summarily dismissing you. Yes, yes, exactly. In the words of that one judge, I got to get that as one of the sound bites. Mm-hmm. I got to hit the button with yeah. that. Oh, oh I love not that one. <laughs> not that, that, not was, that one. I'm going to replace that button with a summarily dismissal. Yeah. So we're going to keep going with this show. And um, as always, I do read and scan the comments to get ideas for the show. Um, we did the Sarah Boone thing on the strength of uh, some of the requests and some of the recommendations. And one of the things that I want to do, because I have a lot of people commenting on, they want to uh, us to address very specific things. We did some of that on the last show. Um, where there was one uh, of our listeners out there from Kansas, and she brought up a situation with her son, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked for a good half an hour about her son's situation. It was because I thought it was, um, I mean, it's it's a big deal. It, was, it involved the Me Too movement, it involved yeah. false allegations of sexual assault, and that's a really important topic, and I wanted to talk about it. And so when I'm thinking about doing it, maybe you can let me know if you'd like this in the comments, but I want to open up a separate phone line for you to call in and leave voicemails anonymously with your questions or comments or concerns. Um, I may or may not play those on the air. If you don't want me to play them on the air, just tell me you don't want to play them on the air, but I'll get the (laughs) ideas, but it'll give you just another outlet or avenue to participate in the show and maybe steer the direction of some of our subject matter going forward. Maybe not a voicemail or a text message, you know, or an email. 
Cool. No, we? I'm not going to read emails. No. <laughs> well, you do it all day. You do yeah, it all day. I, I can't do the email thing. Like, uh, I, I put out my Instagram, and then some people send me DMs. I got to stop. I had to stop reading the You're DMs. You're like, I, I read too like, much. You know what, man? <laughs> this is getting a bit much. I, I don't want to go on Instagram. How about that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so I, I don't even really check it so much. I have one, but it's not, I'm just not a social media guy. But yeah, on this show, leave comments. Um, I'm going to open up at some point. Um, a phone line for you to call in and leave voicemails and we you, you could participate on the show that way. Um, and with all of that, uh, Jocelyn, do you have anything to add to today's discussion? Um, I still want to see the paper trail, all the millions of dollars. I like to imagine how would it, I would spend millions of dollars. Um, but other than that, no, just that one comment of, of, of where it went. How did it happen? How did it continue to happen? So many unanswered questions. <laughs> oh, you know what about that? About how I would spend a million. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie Office Space. It was before your time, maybe. Yeah, it's a lot of things before my time. Are yeah. you serious? <laughs> no idea. Oh my god. <laughs> no idea what that is. You don't know the. Oh, that's your homework for the day. Okay. Yeah. Go watch the movie Office Space. Okay. But there's this one where it's just like this psychological question, like, "What would you do with a million dollars?" And he's like, "You know what? I thought about it." If I had a million dollars, I would sit on my ass and do nothing. You know what? All day. That's what I would it do. It would with just feel dollars. secure. You know, you can feel secure to do nothing. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I would do nothing, but I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I'm going to be spending $40,000 a month on massages and facials and injections. Hey, don't knock until you try it. You might be a different person. I think I'm going to try it. I think I'm going to leave that to others. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, Eliana, did you have anything to say before we conclude episode 19? No, just that I'm very excited to be back. And, and we're very excited to have you. Yeah, I always miss you when you're not here. It has like, such a nice dimension like, when you're here. where is Eliana? <laughs> Vacationing in Mexico. You know what? You, you, know what? You, you keep doing that, actually. <laughs> you know what I said on the last show? Like, the beginning is like, there's only room for one attorney in this room because they're leaving mean comments for Jocelyn and for Melissa because they're not attorneys. Like, well, what about Eliana? I was like, yeah, Eliana, but she's in Puerto Rico. And so she's for right vacation. now. <laughs> she's Having fun. Yeah. You know what Eliana is? She's like the voice of reason. Like, I feel like a lot of times when I go on my rants, I kind of go off the rails. And Eliana always keeps me on the rails <laughs> with her reasoning and her logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so she adds that dimension to the show. Um, and it's always good to have another attorney in the room to bounce ideas off of. Um, but with that, we've been going for about an hour, 15 minutes. And I think we're going to conclude. Con- conclude. <laughs> That's my typical end of the show. Yeah, I can't talk. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to conclude episode 19. And for everybody that's been with us from the beginning, thank you for being with us. I'm going to ask you to stay with us because we got some big things coming up. And um, we will see you all next week. And we love you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.